Episode 71 of 211's Baseball Talk is here. We'll talk all about the Jays and Rays series and the disaster that that was. The Jays and Yankees, as well as the Javi Baez uh, Pittsburgh Pirates play this past week. All that and more. Stay tuned. 211's Baseball Talk, episode 71 starts right after this. That was Balance by Infinite walking you into episode 71 of 211's Baseball Talk. And uh, my name is Dylan Baker, joined beside me my dad, Chris. And last week I mentioned how he was in a different spot uh, for the third week in a row. Now I'm in a different spot, so uh, I guess I shouldn't be calling you out for it. Well, you're definitely disobeying the stay-at-home order, Dylan. So uh, (laughs) he's got two homes. Don't call the authorities. Yeah, yeah. I promise I'm not disobeying the stay-at-home order. I'm in a different spot, though, today, and I'm excited for this podcast. Let's start off first by by thanking Source Teamworks here in London for uh, these awesome London Tigers shirts and sweaters. I've got my t-shirt on. My dad's got his sweater on. Uh, It's pretty awesome. I mean, I wasn't wasn't alive to experience London Tigers, but I mean, the logo's cool. I love all the stuff with it, so shout out to Source Teamworks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, I was alive for this. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm not like Mike Lumley, who got to play with the London Tigers, but, uh, you know, but certainly remember the Mike, Mike Lumley's, the Travis Fryman's, and uh, even Greg Zahn visiting the, uh, as a visiting player in, uh, in London during that time. And of course, their championship, which pretty, was pretty cool too. So, in, in obviously historic Labatt Park. So, uh, yeah, those were fun times. And for Source Teamworks to come back out with something like this is pretty real. It's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, nostalgic for me. And, and it's cool that you get to kind of learn a little more about them and the team as well. We just need the song to be done again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if anybody yeah, remembers that song, song, shout out to Jim Chapman for his uh, Tear em Up Tigers song as well. But, uh, <laughs> but boy, oh boy, that was fun. Those are fun times. I'd love to see uh, minor league baseball back in London for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. I've talked uh, at length with Brent Carty uh, when I popped on his show about uh, the potential that minor league baseball returns to London at Labatt Park. I've had the chance to work at Labatt Park uh, doing games for the London Majors. Gorgeous field. And I think that it will get minor league baseball back at some point. That would be my guess. But uh, who knows when that will be. So awesome London Tigers stuff. Thank you again to Source Teamworks. Uh, Jumping into the podcast now. After dropping the last two to the Red Sox, the Jays hosted the Tampa Bay Rays in what was the final homestand in Dunedin. Obviously, with this podcast coming out a week after the series, many Jays fans won't want to relive it, but thus we must. Game one, Tyler Glasnow was on the mound against Anthony Kay. The Jays got things going early as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. singled home a run to make it 1-0. Then Teoscar singled home another 2-0. In the second, Marcus Simeon tripled, scoring one more 3-zip. In the top of the third, Brandon Lau had a two-run shot off of K to make it a 3-2 game. In the bottom of that inning, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. clapped back with a homer of his own, 4-2. Not to be outdone, Lau went deep again in the fifth, his second of the game, and it became 5-3. In the bottom of that inning, Marcus Simeon went yard to continue the slugfest. Then in the sixth, Jimon Choi tied things up at five with a blast. It stayed tied all the way to the 12th inning, where with the bases loaded and Jeremy Beasley on the mound, Francisco Mejia hit a grand slam to give the Rays a 9-5 lead. In the bottom of that inning, Vlad Jr. hit a two-run shot off of Diego Castillo, but it was not enough. Jays dropped the opener 9-7. In the second game, Robbie Ray was matched up against prospect Shane McClanahan, and the Jays got on the board first with a Teoscar Hernandez double in the first inning. In the top of the fifth, Mike Zanino went yard to tie it up. 
In the top of the eighth, Robbie Ray now out of the game. Manuel Margot singled up Anthony Castro to give the Rays the lead. Then in the ninth, a wild pitch from Trent Thornton scored another to make it 3-1, to one, and that would be the final score. The Jays' losing streak at that point was extended to four games. The Rays' winning streak extended to nine. Game three featured Hyunjin Ryu versus Michael Waka and Josh Fleming for the Rays. For the first time in the series, the Rays got on the board first as Manuel Margot singled home a run to put them ahead 1-0 in that first inning. In the bottom of the fourth, Teoscar Hernandez went yard to tie the game up. In the fifth, though, Francisco Mejia went deep off of Ryu to make it 2-1 Tampa Bay. In the bottom of the fifth, Teoscar Hernandez singled to tie things up. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Randall Gritchick had a go-ahead two-run homer to put the Jays ahead 4-2, heading into the ninth with Tyler Chatwood coming in. Chatwood, for the first time this season, ran into trouble uh, ran into major trouble, I should say, and allowed a run to score on a Brett Phillips single. Keep in mind, Jordan Romano is available. Chatwood then loads the bases and doesn't have control. With a lefty due up, Charlie Montoyo calls upon Travis Bergen, a lefty arm instead of Jordan Romano, who walks the first three batters he faces. Next batter, Rays take the lead. No way he walks three in a row, right? Wrong. Another walk for Bergen, and the Rays lead 6-4, to four, which would be the final score, pushing the win streak to 10, and the Jays squandered a great chance to end the four-game skid, instead extending it to a five-gamer. In the finale of the wraparound series, Trent Thornton took the hill, opening for Ross Stripling. After some tight calls from Junior Valentin, Thornton walked a man with the bases loaded to make it one nothing. Pete Walker was then ejected, but Joey Wendell went yard with a grand slam to make it five-zip in the top of the first. In the bottom of the second, the Jays got one back with Lourdes Goriel Jr. homer. Then in the bottom of the fourth, Guerrero went deep to make it a 5-2 game. Next batter, Teoscar Hernandez, also went deep. All of a sudden, it's 5-3. In the bottom of the eighth, after a rowdy Telez triple, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a game-tying home run. Boom. Tied game. In the tenth, Austin Meadows doubled to make it 6-5. Then Manuel Margot singled to make it 7-5. Things looked pretty bleak in the bottom of the tenth, but Marcus Simeon hit a game-tying home run to make it 7-7. In the 11th, the pain began with Joel Pyamps on the mound. Francisco Mejia singled home two to make it 9-7. That was followed by a Randy Arozarena double to make it 10-7. And Austin Meadows' ground out made it 11-7. Manuel Margot tripled home two to make it 13-7. And Mike Brasso got another run home to make it 14-7. Santiago Espinal grounded out in the bottom half to make it 14-8, which would be the final score. A brutal series. I know you have thoughts on Charlie Montoyo's bullpen management. Uh, we're going to talk all about it after we do the Yankees series. But overall, besides the bullpen mismanagement, what were your thoughts on uh, how the Jays fared against the Rays? Well, it wasn't a good series, Dylan. <laughs> it really <laughs> was mildly. To put it mildly, it wasn't good. Uh, they could have won each and every one of those games and didn't. Um, I believe we actually touched in the last podcast on a bit of this series, did we not? No, we did first not. Game. No, must have been another series I was mad at. Um, <laughs> but uh, that one, uh, that one wasn't good, uh, and it was unwatchable. And you know, obviously, we'll touch on on the bullpen management. But um, I think the thing that's more frustrating is if it was blowouts or something that's different. But it was it was these one and two run games that we just kept losing, or the Jays just kept losing, and uh, and not early on either. It was uh, two extra inning games, and and it just you know, come on guys, like ridiculous, ridiculous. But, um, you know, but part of that and a lot of that was something we'll speak about later. So I I'll just leave it at that with this series. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned the blowouts and stuff. Like if if if, if the Jays are down five nothing in the first inning, which they were actually in one of those games, and it keeps getting worse and worse. Like you can tune out, you can be like, all right, we'll write this one off, restart tomorrow. Jays can take one of these games in the series. The thing is, they were in all of these games down to at least at the, at the latest, the, the eighth inning. I mean, the Saturday game they were, or at the earliest, pardon me, the, the time they gave up the lead was the eighth inning. Like they were in these games and it was so heartbreaking for Blue Jays fans because they were like, okay, the skid ends today or not. And then it, and the Rays would just 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 capitalize on every opportunity the Blue Jays gave them. And there were quite a few in the Jays. They they had trouble scoring runs uh, with runners in scoring position both on Saturday and on Sunday, uh, where they, they couldn't get runners home when they needed to. Um, Monday they, they did a better job with it, but they didn't get a lot of runners on. So it was it was a really tough series against the Rays. Um, we'll talk about this now uh, before we go into the, the Yankees series. There was an article that was put out this week uh, that got a lot of heat on Blue Jays Twitter by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who said that the, the Rays suspect the Jays, or there was there was some rumor that the Jays were cheating to get uh, to <laughs> yeah. get runs off a title lose. now because he really got roughed up. He's the Rays ace. He's been having a really good year, but Topkin put out an article that said that something didn't add up or whatever. Uh, what were your thoughts on on that whole article? Well, it's obvious uh, that they were doing that. Uh, I mean, judging by all the wins they got. So, um, you know, I mean, yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous for somebody to even accuse that after being, after sweeping that team. Like, I Not mean, really? Sweeping them, sweeping them in a four game series on the road. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Good sign stealing then. They were really, really good at it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't have much more to say about that. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, Mark Tompkin was probably looking for something to write about because it was just silliness right from the beginning, Um, especially when you're talking about a team that just got swept, uh, saying they were stealing signs is a little bonkers. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the fact, like like you mentioned, they didn't win a single game in that series. And sure, they came close, but they didn't win any of the games. If they were stealing signs, they would have likely – at least won a couple of those games. And the only starter who got roughed up in that series was Tyler Glasnow. He had an off game. I understand that he's the ace of the Tampa Bay Rays staff and he's a phenomenal pitcher, but everybody's going to have an off game. Hyunjin Ryu had his against the, against the Oakland A's where he gave up four runs. Every ace is going to have an off game and that was Glasnow's off game. But the Rays, or Mark Topkin at least, refused to accept that and implied that the Jays were stealing signs, which they were not. Anyway, back to uh, on to another series with a team that has also accused the Blue Jays of stealing signs. Uh, the Blue Jays and the Yankees jumping directly into that series. The Jays went to New York for three. Steven Matz was on the bump versus Corey Kluber in game one. The Jays got things going in the third with a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. homer to make it 2 nothing. Top of the fourth, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. went yard to make it 3-zip. In the bottom of the seventh, Santiago Espinal's fielder's choice made it 5 nothing on a strange, strange play. In the bottom half, Kyle Higashioka's single made it 5-1. to one. Steven Matz dominated, striking out double digits, and Randall Gritchick went yard in the eighth to make it 6-1 to one Blue Jays. Bottom of the ninth, Jordan Romano on to close it out despite it not being a save situation. He allowed a run because of a brutal error in the outfield by Teoscar Hernandez, but the Jays won a baseball game, 6-2. to two. Alec Manoa got called up to start Wednesday's game, which was then rained out. So Manoa versus Herman the next day in the first game of a doubleheader. 
Manoa dominated, getting his first strikeout on a gross changeup to Rubin Odor, and then a fastball that made Aaron Judge look silly. Manoa went six, striking out seven, walking two, and allowing two hits, and his mom's reactions were absolutely awesome. The Jays got on the board in the third inning as Marcus Simeon went yard with a laser to make it one nothing. Next batter, Bo Bichette, did the same, and the Jays were up two zip. That would be the final score as Jordan Romano locked up the first game of the doubleheader on just eight pitches in the seventh inning. Of course, seven inning doubleheaders this season in Major League Baseball. In the finale, Robbie Ray took the mound versus Jordan Montgomery. The Yankees got on the board in the bottom of the first with a Gio Rochella double that scored one. Then Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Bo Bichette, and Danny Jansen combined to cut down another run on that play. In the top of the third, Bo went yard in the second game, homering once in each game of the doubleheader to put the Jays ahead three to one. In the bottom of the third, though, Aaron Judge homered deep to center to tie things up. Next inning, Gary Sanchez went yard, and all of a sudden, the Jays were down 4-3. to three. In the bottom of the fifth, Aaron Judge hit a sack fly to give the Yanks a two-run advantage. Uh, they would hold on and win by that score. The Jays took two out of three from the Yankees. How'd you feel about that Yankees series? I thought it was a nice recovery from that Rays series, that's for sure. I know I was excited. Uh <laughs> I was very excited about seeing Manoa. I thought he did great. Obviously, he did great. Anybody who makes a major league debut like that, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. But um, even the first game was pretty good. And I actually didn't hate even the third game. You know, it was uh, unfortunate that they lost. Ray didn't have the best start of his career there. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, taking two out of three of the Yankees, you're always happy with that. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, I mean, you got you to cut some lefties, uh, got to cut the lefties some slack at Yankee Stadium against a righty heavy Yankee lineup with the short porch, very small park there. So anytime a lefty has a tough game on the mound, I, I always let them have that one and then bounce back in the next one because Robbie Ray's a guy who's prone to give up the long ball, especially this year when he's working in the strike zone more. His stuff is better than what it was last year and the year prior, but that does come with some downsides because he allows more home runs this season. And uh, that was evidenced by that game there where he allowed a homer to judge. And do you think uh, in that game, do do you think Ray was getting squeezed Dylan or that was a pants joke and I'm not going to. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) His bottom half was, Ah, there we go. I can't believe you ruined it for me. That sucks. But anyway, that's fine. Yes. He was being squeezed, not by the umpire. But by his bottom half. All right, go. Actually, they, they, there was an umpire scorecard put out for that game, as, they, as there always is. And uh, John Tempain, I believe, is a home plate umpire who is probably one of my favorite umpires. He's got a great story. I'll let you look that up on your own if, you, if you'd like to. But John Tempain was remarkably accurate in that game. Uh, so, yes, yeah, the only thing that was squeezing him were those pants. Um, the weekend. On the weekend, you complained a lot to me about uh, Charlie Montoyo's bullpen usage. Um, I'll let you get into it because there were a lot of questionable decisions made. Well, I just don't think it made any sense, Dylan. I mean, the, the bullpen usage didn't make any sense. Not using Romano when we knew Romano was in a good spot to be used in those positions. Um, you know, and the people he brought in, who was the guy again uh, on the one day? Um, I know Bergen it happened or- multiple times. Bergen, yeah. He's uh, like, I mean, three straight walks. You can't do With the that. bases loaded. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this goes back to the Boston series too. I mean, it was like, it's, it's like, why, 
when you are on the verge of taking over first place, are you monkeying around with the bullpen? I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why you wouldn't use the guys in their roles and start tinkering when you're half a game out and then continue that on into the next series and get swept. Like, I mean, come on guys. Like, you know, you either want to win or you want to play around with baseball. I mean, let's like, this is, you have a closer for a reason. Use them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in the Boston series, when Dolis gave up that home run, I'm not sure. I don't quite remember whether Jordan Romano was available for that game. I think he was because I don't think he pitched in the second game of that series. That was a questionable call by Montoyo too, to not use Romano in that situation. I think he doesn't have the confidence that a lot of Blue Jays fans believe he should have uh, in Jordan Romano to use him in those late game spots. Obviously, I think after or coming into that series, he didn't have confidence. But after what he saw, that terrible bullpen display against the Rays, where their only good reliever was Jordan Romano, Rafael Dolis pitched well. I believe he pitched in the seventh inning of one of the games. Um, then I think Montoya's got a lot of confidence to go to Romano. And I was baffled that Romano wasn't used to close the game out on Sunday because I thought that was a perfect spot. Halt the streak, bring in Romano. Tyler Chatwood was brought in. And I don't blame Charlie Montoya for bringing Tyler Chatwood in because Chatwood's had a really good year. I remember looking at you. I remember telling you that Chatwood was coming in and we both liked the decision. We both liked the move because Chatwood's been having an awesome year. Ran into some trouble. Okay, so you don't bring Romano in there for Chatwood. You bring Chatwood in, but now he's in trouble. Do you leave Chatwood in with the bases loaded and one out to try and, and get out of his own jam? He wanted to stay and he was furious with Charlie Montoya for taking him out. Or do you bring in Jordan Romano? Well, he did neither of those things and brought in Travis Bergen, who has one career save in the big leagues and has been prone to some command issues, has now gone on the IL with a shoulder injury. So maybe that was part of the reason that he couldn't find the strike zone. Just a, a baffling decision to not use Romano in that spot. And uh, he used him the next day. Ben Wagner actually tweeted that in the bottom of the ninth inning, Jordan Romano was throwing in the bullpen lightly in case the game went to extras. So he was available the whole time and they didn't go to him. And I know that the, the Bergen, I think it was Bergen versus Meadows. That was the matchup that Charlie Montoya brought uh, Travis Bergen in for. Again, it's lefty-lefty. I understand that. Or maybe it was loud. It was, it was a lefty batter. I get that you want that matchup. But Jordan Romano has been able and has shown you that he can get guys out on both sides of the plate. So I don't understand the move to not use Romano on that Sunday night. And I don't quite understand the move to not, I mean, the bullpen was pretty, was pretty thin on Saturday. Anthony Castro has been very good this year. So I get that they wanted to see what Castro could do in his first game back from injury, but maybe you don't throw him into that high leverage of a spot because he's just coming back and he's building up again. Uh, just some questionable moves. I liked, and, and, and give me your thoughts on this on, on Tuesday in the first game against the Yankees. I really liked that he went to Romano despite it not being a safe situation because Romano was going to be the guy who guaranteed that that losing streak was snapped. Yeah. And that's fine, but it was a losing streak caused by the manager. So, yes. um, you know, I mean, maybe not the initial losses, but uh, certainly, you know, after that, my question is, you know, um, I bet you Zach Britton and, and Jordan Romano are pretty good friends right now. And, <laughs> and I, I'd love to have seen the analysis from Buck Showalter on that game on MLB network, because I bet he was in total agreement with uh, Montoyo not using <laughs> Uh, Romano in that situation in an important game, but I digress. Um, yeah, it was, it was, 
uh, an unfortunate series overall. It was some bad managing of the bullpen. There's no question about that. I don't think even Wilner could argue that, um, you know, and he likes to argue in favor of whoever is being argued against. Um, and no, nothing wrong with that. He's entitled to his opinion, but I, I think this is one where I don't know that he could even do that. I mean, you know, was, was Bergen the guy Wilner was thinking was coming in? I'd love to know that. So, you know, it's, it's obvious that that, that situation was a, was a bad one for the Jays. It certainly helped extend the losing streak. Um, and I'm glad it's over and the Yankees series uh, recovered from that. So, you know, we move on, but at the same time, that was a, that was a tough series to watch against the Rays. Yeah, no, absolutely it was. And uh, I, I'm usually a guy who, who likes to defend Charlie Montoyo. I'm a big Montoyo fan. I, I believe in him as a manager, but that was inexcusable. I mean, he cost his team games by not using your closer, who's throwing 100 miles an hour, who's pitching better than I think he pitched last year, and he had a really good year until he got hurt. So I did not understand the move to not go to Romano, and I believe that that cost the Jays the games. I know that you are in complete agreement with me on that. Um, Alec Manoa got called up. We said uh, July 15th was likely when he was going to get called up. Spoiler, it was not. It was May 27th that he made his big league debut. Supposed to be the 26th. Obviously, there was a rain out that night, so he did not. Officially got the call on the 27th to start that first game of the doubleheader. And he was, as advertised, worth the hype. Alec Manoa had a great debut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, uh, you know, he was dominant. He started things off with a walk uh, and then, you know, let those emotions calm down a little bit and went right to the strikeout after that two strikeouts in that inning um and you know how do you complain about that start the yankees were baffled there and judge was baffled by him all day um you know and uh, again you know you got it's one start but you've got to be excited about this kid yeah absolutely his mom was (laughs) yeah i know a lot of people were worried about uh worried about his development if they brought him up too soon and and the stuff that we heard from ross atkins was the stuff plays in the big leagues. His slider plays. His fastball plays. He needs to work on the changeup. Well, in that game, his fastball was probably his best pitch. The changeup was right there with it. And the slider was actually not quite there. He didn't have a great slider during that game. But it didn't matter because that fastball was so good and the changeup was so good that he was still able to get the Yankees out. And the changeup was what everybody thought would be the thing he needed to work on at the big league level. And he probably still does. He's, his changeup is probably not where he wants it. Um, but I think that if they're in, Buck Martinez mentioned this on the broadcast uh, during Manoa's start. He said, if there is a guy that you want to watch over your young pitcher as he develops at the major league level, it's Pete Walker. And Pete Walker is going to be awesome, I think, with Alec Manoa, who just needs to, to develop a routine a little bit better because in college you pitch once a week, I think it was mentioned, and, and they wanted him to get acclimated to pro ball. Well, you can do that easily in the big leagues and you can continue refining your stuff with Pete Walker, who is a, a fantastic pitching coach. Um, so Manoa's debut, like I mentioned earlier during uh, the recap of the Yankees series, six innings, two hits, two walks, seven strikeouts, no runs allowed. Manoa dominated and uh, his mom was very entertaining for a lot of people. I think uh, she was very excited for her son. So awesome to see for the Manoa family. And were you surprised when they called him up? Because Anthony Kay had a very good start in his last start uh, before they sent him down to the minor leagues. So did it come as a surprise to you that they called Manoa up that early? 
Well, a little bit. I mean, you know, obviously not entirely. I know Kay hasn't been great all year. Um, he had a good start, as you said, recently, but I think they needed this losing streak to end and they needed to inject some positivity and some life into that clubhouse after a six game losing streak as well. And one of the best ways to do that is bring up your top pitching prospect, you know, and again, I don't know that that's necessarily the number one or even on the list of reasons why they did it, but it certainly helped the clubhouse morale. Um, and, you know, it's turned some things around. They immediately went out and won a game right after he got called up in, in New York. Then they won the game he started. Um, you know, hopefully some momentum has shifted back the other way. And so it does a lot of positive things for the team. But yeah, I was a little surprised at how early uh, Manoa was called up. Yeah, and I think that uh, a lot of Blue Jays fans were very excited to see him, but everybody was kind of a little hesitant because what we kept hearing was that he needed a little more time to develop, a little more time to develop. And with Nate Pearson getting called up and struggling, I think everybody wanted to be cautious with Alec Manoa to make sure that when he did make his major league debut, he would not scuffle at the big league level. And I think he had a very, very good uh, beginning to his major league career. And like you mentioned, the positivity uh, that Manoa brings is a positive, confident guy. And uh, they were able to win a game against the Yankees in New York and they won his start. So really awesome to see. And I'm excited to see uh, how he fares uh, in the years to come, because I, I really like Alec Manoa and um, I'm excited to, to watch his big league career unfold in Toronto. Um, some injury updates. Travis Bergen placed on the 10 day IL to make a roster spot for Alec Manoa. He's got a shoulder issue. Tommy Malone to make room on the 40 man was shifted to the 60 day IL. David Phelps, bad news on the 60 day IL uh, with a lat issue, I believe. He is going to require season-ending surgery, and that's a real shame because Phelps had a very strong start to his season. Uh, so disappointing that uh, that he was uh, that he that he's hurt now and is not going to be able to play for the rest of the year. I knew it was going to be a while, but the rest of the year kind of sucks. In a positive injury update, George Springer apparently is feeling the best he has felt since he got that quad injury. Uh, that's a huge, huge, huge positive for the Blue Jays. And he's not rushing it. He's taking it slowly. And he said that, it, and Montoya said that this has been a struggle for him because he wants to get out and play. Uh, obviously has not been able to do that. So uh, good to see that the Springer is doing well. And hopefully he can jump back into this lineup soon um, and provide even more offense because they can be really, really scary when Springer is in the lineup. Uh, in addition to all the guys that are already there uh, time for the two best and the worst of the week. Um, who is your best hitter from the past week in Blue Jays baseball? I think you still got to give it to Vladdy. Uh, there's a lot of honorable mentions there. I love the way that Bichette hit those dingers and uh, and certainly had some swag to go along with it when he did. Uh, I'm still going to give it to Vladdy, but Bichette is my runner-up. Yeah, Bo Bichette had a really good week, as did Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. I, I, I'm trying to decide who it would be. I think that Marcus Simeon had a good week. Bo Bichette had a good week, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had the best week. And if we're asking for the best hitter, and there is only one correct answer for this week. And that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because I think there were a lot of good hitting performances this week. There were some high scoring games against Tampa Bay, which doesn't always happen because they're a very good pitching team. But uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was able to take it to them and uh, uh, fared very, very well this week. So Vladdy is the nine time recipient of this award. And uh, he gets it again this week. Your best pitcher in the past week uh, for the Blue Jays. Well, I think the obvious choice would be to go to Manoa. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to Jordan Romano. Uh, he came back from not being used and absolutely dominated in that next appearance, uh, throwing heat 
and just dominating. And I thought that was a great way to come back from that. Best way is to not complain. It's to come out and show them why it was a mistake not to use them in the first place. Romano did that. I give it to Romano this week. That was a great pick. And I, I wasn't thinking Romano, uh, but he had a very good week. And like you mentioned, he showed Charlie Montoya why it was a mistake to not use him in those high leverage spots. And I don't think Charlie will make that mistake again uh, because Romano absolutely shoved this week, looked awesome on the mound. My best pitcher is going to be probably, it'll be a a combination of two guys. Alec Manoa, obviously a phenomenal first start in the big leagues. Um, So excited to see what he can do. Manoa dominated the Yankees. So he is part of my best pitcher. And then my other part is Steven Matz. Uh, I don't quite remember how he fared against the Rays in that game, but he dominated against the Yankees, striking out 10 guys over six and two thirds innings. So uh, Steven Matz is my co-pitcher of the week with Alec Manoa for the Blue Jays. Who is your worst player overall for the Blue Jays in this past week? Well, I, he was used in the wrong situation, but I got to give it to Bergen. Uh, you know, three straight walks in the next scenario. You just can't do that. Um, and so I'm going to give it to him. I know it's not entirely his fault because it was not a situation he should even be in. Um, one, one career save and just, just again, we could harp on this over and over again. He was just in the wrong spot. Um, so I can't give it 100% to him as much as I could also split that with his manager. But uh, based on the performance, got to give it to Burke. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that Bergen uh, really did struggle this past week. Um, I'm going to go with Trent Thornton because of the the horrific performance in the first inning against the race. Now, listen, I get it. It was it was it, it was a terrible strike zone, uh, but you still want a little bit better. And then and then two days prior, he threw a wild pitch that really uh, put the final nail into the Blue Jays' coffin in that game against the Rays. So. I just expect a little bit more from Trent Thornton. Um, I know he's still getting acclimated to being a reliever, but still, I mean, he really struggled in that series against the Rays. Honorable mention, not for the worst, but just for a very good performance. Ross Stripling, great game on uh, Monday, piggybacking up a Trent Thornton, seven scoreless innings. I mentioned to, to Matt Hiscox, who I've had on the show before, I, I told him, I said, maybe he's a big Stripling fan. I said, Maybe this is the perfect spot for Stripling to get his game back. No pressure whatsoever. Team's down 5 nothing, So no pressure at all for Ross Stripling in that spot. And I think he, he, he did really well. I think he had an awesome, awesome performance uh, in that game against the Rays. And we'll see if he can continue that against Cleveland. And that leads me perfectly into our next segment, our new segment on the show, uh, where we predict what's going to happen in the next two series before the next podcast. Next podcast, I believe, is scheduled for the first Friday of June, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, of course, we'll have an upload schedule coming out on social media uh, before the next month begins, but I believe it's It's the Friday, depending on the Blue Jays' off day schedule and such. Uh, They play the Cleveland team in uh, in Cleveland uh, this weekend for three, and then they play two against the Marlins in Buffalo. The starting pitchers are slated to be Ryu, Stripling, Mats, Manoa, and Ray for those five games. Uh, How do you think the Cleveland series is going to go? How do you think the Miami series will go? Or how do you hope, at least? Well, I think the Cleveland series could be a good one for the Jays. I'm a little concerned about the Miami series. They're up and comers right now. Um, But again, with Manoa going, I think that's a good positive sign. Uh, at least to get a win out of there. And maybe not. I, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on him on the second start of his career. But uh, 
and and I know he's not going to win every time he comes out. But uh, Miami's uh, an up and coming team, and they've been playing really well lately. I, I, I if I was concerned about any series, it would be that one. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm a little more concerned about the Cleveland series because of the pitching that Cleveland has. Obviously, the Jays. Well, no Bieber though, right? <laughs> Sorry. They're going to miss Shane Bieber. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No Shane Bieber. Yeah. Uh, they still do have to face Aaron Savali in the first game. Um, I think that they could run into some trouble with that Cleveland pitching, but I, I do really like the offense, and I think that the offense can uh, can lead them to a victory. The Miami series will be an interesting one because the Marlins have been uh, – they're slightly under 500, but they've been playing good baseball lately. And, of course, the National League East is um, a disaster. Uh, a lot of teams that are very good in that division that are just beating up on each other. I don't know how many of the Marlins have actually played outside of the division. I know they've played Colorado. I think they've played some interleague as well. So I'm excited to see how the Jays fare against the Marlins. The Marlins can always be a pesky team and the Jays have had their struggles against them. I mean, last year uh, against Miami, the Jays had a, a back and forth game actually in the Buffalo opener, which is what it will be uh, next week as well. Uh, when Manoa takes the mound in Buffalo against the Marlins. So I'm interested to see how that goes. The Marlins pitching is their best attribute. The Jays are going to face a lot of good pitchers in the next week before our next podcast, because Cleveland's always got great pitchers, but Miami's starting rotation has been phenomenal this year. So I'm excited to see how the young hitters and, and the, the team as a whole handles these, these pitchers that they're going to face because no Shane Bieber, but a lot of good arms coming up for the Blue Jays. Um, good arms, but bad plays is where we're going next. As the Pittsburgh Pirates took on the Chicago Cubs this week, the Cubs swept the series. Nobody really cared because the Cubs were expected to sweep that series. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they've had a tough year. They're probably going to be the worst team in baseball this year. Um, but there was a play. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching, it'll be on your screen now. Uh, where Javier Baez grounded a ball to the third baseman. It was thrown to first, pulled the first baseman off the bag. Baez starts backpedaling towards home to try and allow Wilson Contreras, his catcher, to score from second base. Now, for whatever reason, the first baseman does not touch first base to record the out and end the inning with two outs. He does not go to the bag. He chases Baez back to the plate, doesn't throw the ball as he's three feet away from home, does throw it because he sees Contreras is almost there. Contreras scores. Nobody's covering first base. So Javi Baez bolts to first base, gets there easily. The ball gets thrown away. Baez goes to second. Um, the craziest part about that is if they had just recorded the Baez out, whether it was a tag after the run scored or the at first, the inning would have been over. The run wouldn't have counted. And a lot of people were calling this a stroke of genius from Javi Baez. He admitted after the game, he didn't know the rule. If he was tagged out, the run scores. He didn't know that. I think that I think it was a brutal play on the part of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But what are your thoughts? Well, let me give you my thoughts. Uh, it was like watching you coaching you in T-ball um, and <laughs> Steve Phillips. No, no, I wasn't saying it was you, but it's just the kind of things that that happen in T-ball and to see it happen at the major league level. Will Craig, my goodness, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, this is not what you want to be known for. Uh, the Pirates obviously are uh, are definitely a struggling team. They're going to be all year, as you said. Uh, but this is a play where uh, it can't happen at the major league level. It doesn't matter how bad a major league team you are. This play cannot happen. 
Um, and even though Baez also admitted not knowing the rule, no matter what, he was going to be out. Even if he had caught up to him and the run would not score in that situation because it's a forced play and it remains a forced play as we heard this morning. So even if you're tagged and the run passes the plate, he's still not going to score because it's a class to force out regardless. So uh, whatever he was, whatever Baez was doing, wasn't going to work no matter what anyway. Uh, Craig was obviously out of his mind uh, and didn't know the number of outs perhaps, or just didn't know what to do in that situation or panicked and panicking is, is fine. I mean, that's going to happen, especially when you're new to the, the game, but, but you can't, that's an a ball play. If it happens at the professional level at all, it doesn't happen any higher than that. And, you know, it happened in the major leagues. Yeah, no, it was a disaster. And I'm not familiar with Will Craig. I don't know if he's been in the big leagues for a while. If he's a rookie, maybe it was just nerves and he it was a weird play because Javi Baez is a guy who likes to mess with people and, and, and likes to have fun uh, 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 when he plays the game and tries to find every advantage he can. That's what he was doing there. He was being Javi Baez. He's nicknamed El Mago, the magician, because he's able to, to do things that you wouldn't expect anybody to do on a baseball field. Um, and part of that is creativity. Part of that is skill. I think today or when that, when the play was yesterday at the time of this recording, I think he was just trying to help his team score a run, not realizing that if he was tagged out, if he was out, the run wouldn't have counted anyway. Just a ridiculous play. I feel bad for Will Craig. His manager, though, defended him. His manager said, that is my fault. The base hasn't moved in 140 years. We have to know that. Uh, that's on me. What are your thoughts on Derek Shelton sticking up for his player like that? Well, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. It's uh, you know we talked about a manager last year, last week, Larusa, who wouldn't do that. So uh, you know it's nice to see Shelton do that. And I loved his comment about the base not moving in 140 years. That was awesome. Uh, and yeah, it was just a play that just should not happen. I mean, it's beyond fundamentals. I mean, fundamentals at a major league level don't even consider a play like that. You know, and so you know it was just a really unfortunate moment for the game. Um, but uh, but at the same time, you know, it's unfortunately that is going to be one of those ones where, you know, what's that Giants play where he's like, that's the worst run base running I've ever seen in the history of baseball. Uh, that's going to be one of those plays. It's going to get played over and over and over all the time over the years. And unfortunately, Will Craig is going to be the butt of that. But uh, uh, and that's tough being new to the major leagues. And that's what you're going to get known for. But uh, wow, what a bonkers play. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, Ben Ennis, I think, put it best. Is he said this play just infuriates me? It doesn't make me laugh or enjoy this. I j- I just hate this because it's such bad baseball. And when I first watched it, everybody was sharing it, saying, "Oh, great play by Javi Baez." So I was like, "Oh, I watched it, and I was partially influenced by what I was seeing." I was like, "Oh, awesome play by Javi. That's crazy. I've never seen anybody do that." And then I watched it again. I was like, "He could have just touched first base." And as I kept watching and I watched it over and over again, it got more and more frustrating because it's such an easy play. It's a play that is made constantly. Like I understand the ball took him off the base. He just has to turn around and touch it. Just, just touch it with his foot. And it's over. The play is over. The inning is over. They don't allow a run. I just, it baffled me. And, uh, and I know that it won't ever happen again. Props to Derek Shelton defending his player. He shouldn't have to do that though, because that was a terrible, terrible play by Will Craig. And I, I hope Will Craig is able to, to, you know, make a big, big league career and, and bounce back from that moment. But like you mentioned for, for a while, he's going to be remembered 
uh, for this play and this play only. Uh, moving on to prospect watch for this week. Only one prospect, and that is Gabriel Moreno. He is on a tear in double-A. He is dominating. He's a catcher. He uh, He's very young, a Venezuelan catcher. Um, do you think that Gabriel Moreno, who's already on the 40-man roster, it's worth noting, has a shot at making this team at some point this year in a spot for, for Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire? Maybe. I don't know. I don't really see that happening. I think the depth is, is pretty high uh, for that position. But, um, you know, it's possible. It's possible. If anything, a promotion to Buffalo. But, uh, uh, but a major league debut, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think Moreno's in AAA by the end of the year, at least. And uh, I think Simeon Woods-Richardson will be there to join him. We won't have many updates on Woods-Richardson as he's pitching in the USA Olympic qualifiers uh, for the Olympics. Best of luck to him there. Don't beat Canada, though. Um, so, and a shout out at the AA level to Otto Lopez, who has a 16-game hitting streak so far uh, for AA New Hampshire. That might be every single game they've played this season. I'm not too sure. But Otto Lopez with a 16-game hitting streak at that level. So, uh, awesome to see for the number 15 Blue Jays prospect, I believe. Maybe we'll see Otto Lopez at some point in the next couple of years at the big league level. This concludes episode 71 of 211's Baseball Talk. We thank you very much for watching or listening. Remember to check out our social media, especially for the upload schedule for the month of June. We'll talk to you next week with another great episode.